0: And welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Rick Skorupsky. After a 21-year career in the U.S. Navy, Richard returned to his native state of New Jersey. He followed his passion for the open waters and started a second career in the marine parts business. However, the dense population of New Jersey and its high cost of living compelled Richard and his wife Cheryl to find a more peaceful and friendly environment for his second retirement. The couple now happily reside in Spink County, South Dakota. Welcome, Rick. How are you today?
1: I am doing wonderful. And first, let me thank you for allowing me to sit down with you for a little bit and have this great conversation.
0: Happy to do it. I think my boomers are going to be very interested in what you have to say. Well, I certainly hope so. I do, too. So you decided to move from a state that is densely populated to a small town in South Dakota. Tell us a little bit about the journey of finding the town you now call home and what you love about living there.
1: To start with, I left New Jersey drove me away from New Jersey. It got overly crowded, overly expensive, overly regulated, and just... For instance, just little things like they, they called it the public library there, they called it the free library. But to go to the free library, you had to put 50 cents in the parking meter before you could get in. And the par- and then there was a lady running around in this little golf cart looking thing that all, her whole job was to drive around in that parking lot and write out parking tickets. So the, the free library wasn't free at all. And that, that was just kind of the way it was. And I got frustrated. With living 15 miles from where I work and having to take over 45 minutes to get there, really um,
0: 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah, for,
1: yeah, 45 minutes either way, and and that then I was in, on the New Jersey shore. So in the winter it was 45 minutes. In the summer, when the population doubled, it was it was even even busier. I would actually go 20 miles inland before I would go south and then come back east toward my home just to get home.
0: Boy, was, wow.
1: It, and. My wife and I decided we didn't want to do this anymore. (laughs) And I had a very, very good friend of mine who lived in rural Iowa. And he lived in the middle of farm country. And I knew him in the Navy. And every time I transferred in the Navy, I would stop and see him because he retired 10 years before I did. And he introduced me to what I call rural. And at the time, he was selling a product that was for farmers who were raising hogs. And I went with him and his little ranger pickup for three days, and I drove from farm to farm to farm to farm as he made house calls, selling, peddling his wares, basically. And I met some of the finest people in the world. I met people who were honest, who were forthright, who accepted you as you walk in the door, and they said, welcome, and they actually meant it. And being a city kid, I wasn't used to that at all. (laughs) And so... Once I retired from the Navy, I went back to where I grew up in New Jersey and I got into the recreational boating business because well, that's another whole story, you mm-hmm. know, save that for another podcast, <laughs> but because otherwise we'd never finished this thing. I wound up in the recreational boating business on a lark. I, I came in actually at entry level. I had that luxury since I was retired Navy, I could almost work a part-time job and make ends meet. And I took this job at entry level and I worked my way up over 10 years to a very highly paid position, but I was still frustrated. I was still stuck. So my wife and I started to think about rural and being a good New Jersey boy. The first place I thought was South. I didn't want to go to Florida because Florida is nothing more than New York South anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, but I thought about the, along the North Carolina coast or maybe the South South Carolina coast, I could stay in the boat business. And Long story short, that didn't work out. And I finally got tired of that. So I started looking around and I was looking around and then I decided, well, I think I'm going to get a big RV and I'm going to get in. I'm going to sell the house. I'm going to buy a big RV and I'm going to go out and I'm going to let home find me. Wow. So my wife turned around and said, no, (laughs) no, no. (laughs) She said, I don't want to be, if I get sick, I don't want to be stuck in a tin can. When I want to go home, I want a home to go home too. And I said, all right, I understand that. (laughs) Now, I have a friend of mine who has a sign on the back of his, on the back of his big motor home. It says same house, different yard. But <laughs> she, she didn't like that idea. So I went back to Iowa looking around there because I still want to live rural, but I couldn't afford Iowa, not do what I wanted to do, which was basically retire and get the big RV and go tour the country. So I got, I looked at Iowa. I couldn't afford to do that and not still work. So I, looked at nebraska one state farther west i couldn't afford that either so i said wow. okay i've got to find place where the cost of living is lower so i looked down in alabama and central tennessee away from the cities and and my wife kiboshed that too she said you're not going to move me to a place that's that humid and that buggy
0: you know i was thinking of uh tennessee to move to so I guess they need to do more exploring because if it's human and buggy, I don't know. I have that up here already because I live right outside of Philadelphia.
1: Right. So I'm very
0: familiar with New Jersey as well. So hmm, I'll
1: just think about uh, that. I spent seven years of my Navy career at Willow Grove. So you know where that that is for folks that are listening. That's just north of the city of Philadelphia. Anyway, I got looking again. I couldn't get anywhere with Nebraska. So I took one step north and I looked at South Dakota. And back, and I'm going to use my hands here for the people that are on audio. I'm going to have to say it. My fingers are about an eighth of an inch apart. Back in 2004, the internet was about this big, and you know, 14.4 modem was was rapid. I mean, it was you know, you know, pages came up in under a minute. It was delightful. But I started surfing around the internet, and I and I looked at South Dakota, and I looked at the populations, and I decided to use Huron. South Dakota, which is the fourth largest city in the state, with a population of under fifteen thousand, but it is the fourth largest city in the state. I used that as my anchor point, and I drew a thirty-minute circle basically around it, and I started shopping. Why Huron? Because I figured it was big enough to have grocery stores, hardware stores, the convenience that I need, you know, a lumber yard, or the things that I would need. And Huron had that, that everything but a haberdasher. And since I didn't want to wear a suit anymore, that worked fine for me. Didn't matter. <laughs> so I found this gorgeous. Now, I have to tell you, I'm, I, I honestly believe that I was born 50 years too late. I was born 50 years too I love wooden boats. I love propeller-driven airplanes. And I love Victorian homes. Wow. So, Interesting. Needless to say, I, I should have been born in 1902 instead of 1952. But anyway. I found this gorgeous Victorian home in a little tiny town called Alpina, South Dakota. It was about 30 minutes south of Huron. And I said to my wife, I said, Cheryl, I think we found, I think I found the house for us. And she said, where is it? I said, it's a little tiny town called Alpina, South Dakota. She says, I don't like it. I said, what do you mean you don't like it? I haven't even shown you the pictures yet. No, I don't want that. What do you mean you don't want that? That's a gorgeous house. It's an old Victorian. You just see the woodwork in this place. It's it's incredible. I don't want it. Well, you know, I'm kind of dense. I'm kind of dense. And it takes me a while before I ask the right question. And the right question was, well, what do you want? And she says, well, if you're going to move me to the plains, I want to live on the plains. I said, this is on the plains. It's in this gorgeous little town. She says, no, you don't understand. I said, all right, I don't understand. What do you want? She says, I want at least five acres. Oh, well, back to the drawing board. Right. Wow. The very next morning, the house that I'm sitting in right now popped up on realtor.com how fast wow the very next day it popped up on realtor.com as a brand new listing wow it was it was listed as a five-bedroom house with four outbuildings with 13 acres and the way they wrote it was 13 acres more or less and i looked at that and being from new jersey i looked at that 13 acres more or less but what he literally meant was 13 acres was his best guess, but it could be more or less when it's surveyed. Right. But I looked at that and I chuckled when I read it. Yeah, more or less. Yes. But I had a week's vacation and I took that week's vacation. I dovetailed it into two weekends and we jumped in, like, like the old Beverly Hillbillies. We jumped in the pickup truck and we drove out here to look.
0: I Why said to Cheryl, boy? let's
1: just go see. Cause we looked at the pictures. I'd been in communication with the realtor. She came up, she took more pictures. She asked the questions that I wanted to ask. It's really, really helpful. And so we drove out and we drove in and we looked at the house and we looked at the property and we fell in love with it. And we were here for three days. And when you're moving from this is a major change. I'm changing my entire life at this point. Oh yeah. I'm changing. I, I, I'm I'm quitting my job. I'm moving 1,600 miles to a place where I know no one.
0: Right. And,
1: Gosh. And and buying a house. So you don't just buy a house when you do that. You buy a neighborhood. You buy a a community. You do. So we spent three or four days. We went to the little tiny town of Hitchcock, population 102. And we went into the cafe and we ate lunch and we we talked to the folks. Which, by the way, they call dinner here. We ate dinner and uh, talked with folks and went to other little towns around and and stopped in gas stations and we decided we liked it. And and here's the here's the kicker. I'm on the fence because this is a major decision. Do I don't I do I don't I do I don't I do I don't. I. And the last day we're there, I said to my wife, I said, "Let's go." I saw that nice this nice Mexican restaurant downtown. Let's go. Let's go look at it. Let's go there for supper. So we pull in front of this Mexican restaurant and I stop the truck and I turn it off and I look at my wife and I said what don't you see? And she's looking around, she's looking around. I don't I don't know what you mean. What what is it you're talking about? I said there are no parking meters.
0: Yeah, nice. <laughs> and I said
1: this is where I want to live. They don't have their hand in my pocket every time I turn around. And that's how I left the overcrowded, over congested four miles an hour on the Garden State Parkway, New Jersey, to a place where the two-lane roads have a 65-mile-an-hour speed limit and the interstate's at 80. And I have not, literally have not heard a traffic report in in 15 years.
0: Wow. Wow. How nice. Now, why did you buy such a big house? That sounds like a big house with a lot of outbuildings. Wouldn't you want to have a smaller house at your age? I'm thinking smaller for me, so I don't know.
1: When you asked the robber why he robbed banks, he said, well, that's where the money is. Why did I buy this house? It was the right place at the right time for the right money. And, and my wife is a bit of a collector anyway. It didn't take her long to fill it up.
0: <laughs> oh, it wouldn't take me long to fill it either. But I'm trying to get rid of stuff because I have way too much stuff. But if I had a house that size, oh, yeah, I could easily fill it.
1: <laughs> we moved in here. And at this time, I, I, when we moved in here, I was 52 years of age. And we moved in and I said to Cheryl, I said, you can do whatever you want with this house. You can fill it up any way you see fit because we're not moving again. And it's going to be up to the kids to get it empty.
0: Ah, there you go. That's the secret. The kids are going to empty it.
1: They're going to have to do it. If, they, if they're going to want to sell it, they're going to, want to, they're going to have to clear it out.
0: There you go. And my aunt did that to us. She said, I'm not leaving this house. She lived in a five bedroom house. By herself, she filled every closet in the house with clothes. She never got rid of anything. So when she died, it it took us a year to clear it out. But it it. was on us. She didn't have to do it. (laughs) Right, works for me. There you go. Yep. And they—they don't live in South Dakota, so they're going to have to come out, take some time off to do it. Oh well. That's right. That's right. goes, right.
1: That's right. You know, they they were invited to come.
0: Right. Right. You know,
1: the invitation's still there, but. They've got their own lives. I have got a daughter in in Georgia, and I've got a son that's still in New Jersey, and they're perfectly content with where they are. You know, as time goes by, maybe they'll get less content and they'll look more rural. But moving from city to rural is a is a is a tremendous. It's a, there's a culture shock. There's a culture shock. I, I write in one of my books. I write a story of Bill and June Weber, who basically did what I did. They moved from, I have an imaginary town somewhere between Philadelphia and and Baltimore. And I don't say what state it's in because it allows me a little artistic license when I talk about laws and regulations. But they come walk, they go into the local church and they're coming in on the on, for their first visit to the local church. And Bill says, look, do you see that? And he says, what? He says, all of these cars have their keys hanging in the ignition. And she says, gee whiz, you would think somebody would steal the car. And then he laughed. He says, gee, this place is so small. Nobody will steal the car. Everybody knows who owns it. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So (laughs) It's just That's the, the, the culture shock of if you move from a big city into a small town, you do everything exactly the opposite of what you do. I lived in New Jersey. I had a next door neighbor for four years. And the most we ever did was wave hello on the way to the mailbox.
0: Yeah, I know. That's the way it is here, too. Yep.
1: And. When I got out here, we rolled in with the pickup truck with her car in on a trailer behind it and the RV that we had at the time. And we were here 45 minutes when this car pulls up outside and it's my neighbors, my nearest neighbor's a mile and a quarter away and they live next door to them. They show up, they knock at my door, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's some hot chocolate chip cookies fresh from the oven. I thought I would bake some for you because you just made that long drive.
0: Wow. And come to find
1: out they apologized that it took them so long to come over to say hello because they had to bake the cookies. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and the rules work with a small town, too. If you live in in New Jersey or even where you do near Philadelphia, if you're going to go away for two weeks, you don't tell a soul. You stop the mail. You stop the newspaper if you actually get newspapers anymore. You stop everything. You leave lights on and off on timers. And you go through all of this stuff to make sure everybody thinks you're home. Out here, if you're going to leave, you tell your neighbors, hi, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Can you keep an eye on the house? Oh, sure, Rick. No problem. You know, and key, yeah, you don't have a key. (laughs) I know people who haven't locked their houses in in, in 20 years and they have no idea where the house key is. Wow. Wow. It's just because, you know, if you lock the house, then somebody couldn't get in if there was a problem. It's the it's twist it. It's the other way around. Every Everything is, there is a respect of property here. There is a respect of people here.
0: Well, I remember growing up in Mount Airy, Philadelphia, and we didn't lock our doors way back like in the 60s and 70s. Well, let's say 50s and 60s. And, and 50s and 60s, we didn't lock the doors. Then I guess in the 70s, we started locking doors. But before that, we didn't.
1: And this is this is boomers, so I can say this. I, I tried this with a with a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was a younger crowd, and this missed. I have a friend of mine who at one time was the chief of staff to the governor of the state of South Dakota, and I called him and I said, "There's a billboard coming out of Minnesota on Interstate 90 that comes into South Dakota." I said, "You need to put a message on that billboard." And he says, "What what message should I put on that?" Rick? I said, "It's very simple. Welcome to South Dakota." June Cleaver still lives here. Yeah, yep.
0: Yep. We all, we boomers do know June Cleaver. Yep. Exactly. Younger, younger ones, not at all. Probably a few, maybe here and there, but mostly not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the way it is here. I mean, it's just, if you move into a small town and you want to be left alone, you basically tell people, you know, look, I'd rather just stay to myself. People are going to leave you alone. If you want to be sociable then you do two things. Every little town in South Dakota, and I'm sure in Iowa, in Nebraska, in Kansas, in Oklahoma, every little town has some place where people meet every morning for coffee. Whether it's the community center or the local cafe or the local gas and go, there's a place where everybody meets for coffee. You want to get to know, you want to get to know your neighbors, go drink coffee. And then the other big one, go to church.
0: There you go. Yep.
1: More things happen on in, in rural communities, more things happen in the church than happen in the halls of business.
0: They do. They have their picnics. They have so many social things tied to the church. You're right.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's that's the joys of living here. And that and, and that takes me to my next thing. And here comes my now. I'm gonna hawk. Time okay. to hawk my stuff.
0: Time it. to sell my it. wares.
1: <laughs> I moved here and I fell in love. I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with how things are. I fell in love with how people look at things. And I had to write about it. I've always wanted to write a good book. I've always wanted to write a book. I've, I've tried three different times to write a book before I moved here. And all three times I had to give it up. I wrote one that was an outstanding. It was a great murder mystery. What a great story. I got 60 pages into this thing because before I couldn't figure out who done it. Oh, <laughs> And when I couldn't figure out who done it, I stopped writing. Right. <laughs> you know, so when I got here, I still want to write a book. So I learned in my travels that to, in order to be a successful writer, you have to write about what you love. Yes, I agree. You have to write about and I love rural America. It doesn't have to be South Dakota. I love rural America. Now, I couldn't write history because I didn't go to school here. I I don't have the I don't have the background to write history about South Dakota. And I couldn't write a documentary. I'd only lived here a couple of years. I hadn't lived here long enough to write any kind of a documentary to explain how I feel about this part of the country and how it is different from both coasts, both of which I've lived on. So I decided to write fiction. And I started out with my first novel. For those who are listening, I'm reaching behind me and picking up a book. My first novel I wrote was Flyover County, play on words for Flyover Country.
0: That's a thick book.
1: Wow. There's a story behind that, too. Oh, become, that's your
0: first one? Wow.
1: This was my first novel. And the reason it became that way is I took this man and woman, June Weber, and her two children, and their two children, plunked them out of what I called Fairview, which is a town much like Warminster or one of those, and plunked them in a little imaginary town that I made up up here called Helen, South Dakota. Well, South Dakota has a Howard, a Henry, and a Hazel already, so I figured they could use a Helen. Right. (laughs) So Helen, South Dakota is a town of about 300 people right in that neighborhood. So I plunked them down. And then the reason the book is so long is from the time I plunked them down, which happens at about page 150, I take them through an entire year of culture shock. Ah. I take them through every season, I take them through the July through the July 4th parades, and I take them through all the different things that go on out here, the state fair, you know, the state fair is an amazing thing for somebody who lives in middle America. Yeah, I bet. there's nothing like it, I don't think, on either coast, because the state the population is so heavy that you can't have a homey feeling at a state fair in New Jersey or even Pennsylvania you just don't you know and california is just, is ridiculous There's just no way you're going to put that many millions of people in a state fair in fact more people show up i think at the state fair in south dakota than show up in california but so i took i took them and i i, I wrapped an entire year around i even got my main character lost in his own backyard in the white out of a blizzard and it was a fenced in yard so it, it, i did some fun stuff but i'll tell a little bit about this just to give you an idea. this is this is culture they pull into town, they go into this, they have a they have reservations at this motel that they booked on the phone, they didn't book it online because nobody had that. So he walks in the office door, which is unlocked and he hollers and there's no answer. And he looks around, anybody here? Nothing. There's a little phone there on the side, a regular old desk phone that says, if no one's here, call this number. And it was a four digit number. So he dials up, oh, you must be Mr. Weber. I'll be right there. (laughs) Two minutes later, this car pulls up outside. Woman walks in. Says I'm here. Okay, well, I have your keys set aside. They're right here. And that's the old plastic key fob with the metal key on the end. None of these fancy stuff in the door electronic things. It's just the old style key fob. Two rooms, one for himself and his wife, and the adjoining room for the two kids. So he takes the key fob and he walks over and he unlocks the door. And he reaches in and he turns up a switch and the television comes on he kind of laughs he finds the other switch and the overhead light comes on and uh he gets his wife and 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 he looks at looks at the room and it's it's clean it's 1963 but it's clean and that's all he cares about you know it's a clean place for his family and that's fine So he goes back and he gets the wife and the kids and he gets them into the room and he goes back out and he picks up the luggage out of the car and he sets it down and he locks the car and he walks the suitcases into the room and he sets them down and he comes back out and he walks over and he unlocks the car and he takes the suitcases out and sets them on the ground and he locks the car and walks the suitcases into the room. And Mabel, who owns the place, asks, why do you keep locking your car? He says, well, I don't want anything stolen he says you know we, things can get stolen out of cars and she says she looks at him and says not in helen <laughs> so that was his first introduction to culture shock his second introduction to culture shock is when the family walked down the it was up 75 feet to the restaurant and found out that they don't take credit cards
0: right cash or, oh cash my or check. gosh why would they they don't out there oh my nah. gosh
1: cash or check. Wow. So they scrambled around. They finally found a check so they could pay the bill. <laughs> but uh, this,
0: not something you think about, but yeah.
1: <laughs> this is how I started it. So I tell their story and I had fun with that. And then I wrote the follow on to that, which again, for people who are listening, I'm holding up another book. This one is called the Fred Weber story. Fred Weber is Bill Weber's older brother. Fred Webber spent 20 years in the Navy and he retired, but he was a spook. So he didn't really have a job to do. Not unless he wanted to go work for the NSA. I mean, he really was out of work at the end of his career. And because he traveled around so much, he never really married. He always stayed single. So he appears on the scene in Helen, in South Dakota to see what the heck his little brother got himself into. And that's where that story starts. And I'm not going to tell any more about that because that's a spoiler.
0: Wow. Sounds interesting. Thanks.
1: So I'm, I'm, I played with that. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. How did Bill get here? And I, alluded, I talk about it a little bit in Flyover County. How did he get here? He got a phone call from a guy he used to play golf with back in, back east. And the guy says, Bill, I want you to sell my house. And he said, sure, I'll come by. You know, when can I come by and look at it? He says, well, you can't see me. I'm 1,600 miles away and I'm not coming back. Wow. <laughs> That's how they get introduced to Tom Ogden. Well, after I wrote... Flyover County. And after I wrote Feb Weber, I'm holding up another book, folks. I wrote this one, Tom and Sarah, the beginning. It's a prequel. It's a prequel to Flyover County. It basically takes you to Flyover County. And I have to say something for folks who are listening. If you're going to be an author and you want to write stories, it's a wonderful thing to do because it allows your imagination that you actually escape. But I'm going to say this and I'm going to, I can't stab my foot because you can't hear that. So I'm going to clap my hands. Never, never, never write a prequel. Never. But you just did. I know. And I and I can speak from experience. Never write a prequel. You have to remember everything you said in the books you've already written. That's true. That's it's true. Like trying to remember all the lies you told. And a if it weren't work. for if it weren't for global search on Microsoft Word, I never would have attempted it. Was that a blue house or was that a pink house?
0: Oh wow! Was his wife
1: named Alice or was it or was it Agnes? Wow, that is a lot. Did they live in Helen or did they live in in Kent? And by the way, my county seat is is called Kent, and that's because the county that is near me that I kind of base the story around is a county called Clark. Well, I couldn't call it Clark, so I called it Kent.
0: There you go. Clark Kent.
1: <laughs> there you go. See, again, this generation understands that my reading audience. And I say it this way because it's a nice euphemism. My reading audience, for the most part, are old enough to party like it's 1999 in 1999. That's true. Now, that's Probably that's true. where I am. And, and anyway, my audience seems to be those people who are my age and, and and plus or minus a little. And that's why I love your podcast, because this is perfect.
0: Yeah, there, absolutely. There's a phrase,
1: and I, and I detest this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's right in my wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep, it is.
1: So I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy rural. It's There's a lot to be said for living in rural America that you have to experience to understand it and rural America doesn't have to be South Dakota. it can be anywhere where there's more farms than there's towns where people have to work hard for a living in order to in order to survive where people have, actually have to make ends meet. they have to be prepared like I am to go for 30 days without being able to get off the property in case we have a heavy blizzard. you know yep you have to be prepared. you have to be a little bit resilient. and then the people that are here, The people that are here, the descendants of the people who are in Conestoga wagons.
0: The real, real pioneers of
1: our country. And you have to look, can you imagine minus 20 degrees and you're in a sod hut with a buffalo fur for a door?
0: Can't imagine. And the
1: only thing you have to keep you warm is the cow chips from the previous summer.
0: Right. Oh, wow. It's a rough life. What an amazing (laughs) amount of fortitude. Oh yeah, it's a rough life, and they work hard seven days a week. You
1: absolutely. know, they might
0: go to church on Sunday, but then when they come home, they're working again, and they probably did some work before they left for church. So
1: still got to milk the cow. Absolutely, the cow needs, milk, needs milking twice a day. So doesn't matter that it's Sunday. Doesn't matter that it's Fourth of July. You know, it's that's the way it is, and and then these the same people who learned from their parents what it was like to break and tame this land, then all of a sudden we're hit with the dust bowl and they were hit with the thirties. Now I wrote a story, reaching back again, another, <laughs> here he goes, he's gonna hawk another book. <laughs> this, this is a story of a man, Frank Stanbauer is 97 years young. He's the oldest man in hell in South Dakota and as such becomes the town historian just by the fact that he's the oldest man in South Dakota in, in this little town in South Dakota. And I tell his story. I tell his life. I tell his life in the current, in the present day, from day to day. I take him through a nor- his normal work, normal days. But I, every little thing reminds him of something that right. he knew in the past. Every little thing. and he's, he, I start out the story. He's in the high school with the kids. And they made him a cake. And they're celebrating his 97th year, 97th birthday. And they got in at that. Of course, the kids are asking him questions because they don't want to go back to class. Right. So they figure if they get the guy talking, yeah, get the old guy talking. And then We can. We don't have to go back to algebra. Yeah. So, so he's talking about talking about the trains that came through town back then and how we used to ride the train up to the big city of Aberdeen, South Dakota. He leaves there and he gets back in his golf cart. And that's something that's very common here in small towns. Everybody runs around in a golf cart because there's no sense starting the big car to go two blocks to the post office. That's true. So so everybody's got their golf cart. So he gets in his golf cart and he goes downtown on his way home and he stops and he looks at a particular place. He stops at the between the the, railroad avenue and front street. And he stops and he looks and he looks to the right and he looks to the left and he sees the straight line of the railroad tracks that used to be there. He's thinking about these high school kids and and he says out loud, how can they not see these tracks that were here? How can they not know? But they, they, they weren't aware. Yeah, no, no. So he goes home and he sits down in his recliner and he puts his head back and he starts thinking about it. And then the story flashbacks to him as a teenager and he and his brother take the train up to Aberdeen, and you know they go to the record store, etc. And I go, I go through that whole thing. In oh, I'd say 1912, 1914, and I and I go through this whole thing, and then and then of course somebody knocks on the door, and we bring him back to current day. And I do this all the way through the story, and I I actually tell the entire story of his life through flashbacks, even even through World War II, where I mentioned in Flyover County because this is a continuing character. I'd mentioned originally in Flyover County that he was part of General Patton's walking tour through Europe in World War II. I wanted to talk about that in the story, but I didn't want to do a war story. Mm-hmm. There so many war stories out there already. I didn't need that. So what I did, I did it with letters to home. Ah. I sat down and I, and again, in current day, he's going through something, he's looking for something in the closet and up at the top of the closet is a shoebox tied with a ribbon. And he takes it down. And the last time anybody touched that shoebox with his wife, who had been dead for several decades. And he opens it up and he finds all of these letters that he had written to her. And some of the letters, a bit tattered, that he had saved and managed to get home from her. And then I spend the next chapter going through the letters.
0: Oh, boy. Nice. Dear
1: Rose, dear Rose, we're we're in Fort Dix, New Jersey. And boy, is it humored here. And, and I go through the entire thing and, and I tell his experience of World War II through, the, through his letters to his wife and children and wow. her letters to him.
0: That's a great perspective. That's a great perspective to
1: use. Yeah, that, I had a ball with that. I did a lot of homework to get this done. I spent a lot of time. I actually, and then to make it real, I mean, you have to make it real. I mean, you, you, Fiction is fiction, but it has to be real. I went down to the local library in Huron South Dakota and I spent days in the microfiche reader looking at looking at newspaper articles from 1936, 1942, 1955 just to get a feel again the flavor. I didn't need the story, I wanted the flavor. How did people think? Everybody talks about December 7th, 1941, but how did really people think about that? Yeah. What was the conversations that went on around the wood stove in the general store? On that Monday morning afterward. What were people thinking? What were they talking about? And in order to do that, you've got to go back into those newspapers and you've got to go into fiction of the time and you've got to read how people thought because people today don't think the same way that people did. People don't think today the way they did 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, no, so different. Yeah.
1: I mean, there was a time when I was young and when you were younger. Nobody used foul language. Nobody used a four-letter no, word. No,
0: I know. I know.
1: Especially around a lady. Might have been Wouldn't might have it. been a little bit more common when guys got together around a, a, a golf course, but never around a lady would anyone use any kind of a four-letter word. And today it seems like it's yeah, it's almost used as a, a exclamation mark. And you know, it's well, not I
0: sent four kids to college and they all came back using the F bomb constantly. I thought when well, I said I didn't send you away to college to learn that and stop using it around me. I don't want to hear it. Stop right, it. exactly. So eventually exactly. they did and they don't use it anymore. But what are we paying college for? That's all became back learning. I'm like, this is ridiculous. That's way too much money for that.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, but
0: it's true. That's the way people are. So now they're used to not using it. So I think they've kind of got off that. But there was a good period of time when that was a constant, constant.
1: I know it's used as an adjective. It's used as a verb. It's used, I know. An, I, don't, I don't care for it either. And it's, it is it is far too common and yeah. it still grates against me. And it's not because I'm some goody two-shoes. I spent 21 years in the Navy. I can peel paint with the next guy. and but But it's not something I prefer to do.
0: And it kind of loses its effect when you use it constantly. Like when you use it, when there's just something so horrible going on or you use it, then it's different. But if you're using it, every other word like it, my kids would every sentence had that word in it. I'm like, what are you doing? There's no effect anymore. So what's the point?
1: Exactly. Yeah. If you overuse it, it's, you know, it's the mind is a filter. The mind filters out what it sees and hears and smells a lot. You know, a farmer who is, Raising hogs doesn't smell the hogs, but if I guarantee if you walk onto his farm, it's oh, oh yeah, hey, he raises hogs. He doesn't smell it.
0: But one of our this it. is
1: this is a true there's a true culture shock story that happened to myself and my wife. <laughs> we were going, we were in Huron, and we were going to go to a, an estate auction because Cheryl likes to collect things, and she also likes to sell things on eBay. So we go to estate auctions and she buys stuff and then she sells most of it. But we were going to go and, and we decided we were going to stop for lunch first. So there was this place that we hadn't tried. It was called the Chuck Wagon Restaurant inside Bale's Sale Barn and Auction House. Oh. So I figured, well, we'll go, to the, we'll go there because that's where the auction's going to be. And we'll stop and we'll eat lunch there an hour before the sale. Well, we walk in the door, and both of us almost got knocked back on our heels with the smell of, of the cow barn and the products of a cow barn. And there's this entire group of men and women sitting around, laughing, chucking it up, you know, chuckling, having a wonderful time eating their eating their meals. And Cheryl and I said, "We can't eat here. I'll never get past the smell. Everything's going right. to taste like the cow." So, so we went somewhere else and, we, and came back for the auction, but. You know, that was a bit of a culture saga. how do those, well, in terms of how do those people yeah how do those people do that and I said well the mind is a filter it filters out it does
0: it does the more you get used to it yep yeah Well, it's like here, I live in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and years ago, it was all farmland around us. All this whole area of Bucks County was farmland. So they build a new development next to a farm, and the people buying the new homes are complaining about the smell. And it's like, you bought a new home next to a farm, that's what a farm smells like, get used to it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And of
0: course, now all the farms are gone. They're all oh, gone. That's, but That's such a shame. For the a Bucks while. County was beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. But all all the farms are gone for the most part. There's some little ones still there, but it's a shame. It really there, is.
1: There was a great little used furniture store right up north, 611, right where it went from two lanes to four. Uh, Cheryl used to like to poke around in. I don't even know if it's there anymore, but it was a, a nice mom and pop place. It was on the on the... West side of the road as we went up north. But that And we, we like going up and, and playing around in New Hope, too, for a while. Yeah,
0: New until Hope's that, nice.
1: Until that went sour.
0: But. And again, everything's too expensive now. Now, when they build in New Hope, all they build is million-dollar homes. That's it. They build nothing for middle income. So that's why I'll be looking to move out of the area, because it's too expensive to stay once you're on a set income. You really can't exactly. stay in this. area.
1: That was one of the other things that drove me out of New Jersey. But we were sitting down and we we actually sat there and I took out my pencil and my calculator and I looked at it. And I was making good money and Cheryl was doing well. But we sat down and we started looking at what we were doing. And it, it dawned on me, after doing some calculations, that almost 60 cents of every dollar was spent on the privilege of living in New Jersey. Wow. Because of the cost of living, the taxes, and and everything else that is involved, the toll roads. I haven't seen a toll road in 15 years.
0: Love that. Love that. I hate
1: toll roads. (laughs) So if I look at that and I say, well, if it's 50 to 60% to live here, if I live somewhere where that cost of living drops to 25%, then maybe I can make this work. Yeah. And that's where this whole thing started. And that's how I wound up out here.
0: Now, I have a question. Did you self-publish your books or they done the tradition? You self-published?
1: Yes, I did okay, self-publishing. Good. And I'm going to be haughty. I'm going to say, well, because I wanted 100% control. And that's a lie. I did, I'm i self-publishing because Doubleday didn't come knocking at my door. <laughs> Just <laughs> to be said, perfectly honest.
0: They should.
1: Uh, I, I think so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but hey. My
1: crazy. first book, Flyover County, I self And This is something that people don't under, don't know. Self-publishing a book is inexpensive. Let me say that better. Self-publishing a book is cheap. There's two ways you can do everything from changing your oil in your car to putting a roof on your house to writing a book and publishing. You can either do it yourself or you can write the check. And if you choose to do it yourself, there's a learning curve. And I will tell you, and you saw the size of Flyover County. It's about just over 700 pages. 700 pages. Oh, my gosh. The thing that's nice, and I have to say this before I scare people away, Flyover County is written in 69 chapters, and each chapter is about 4,000 words, plus or minus. Each chapter could be a standalone short story. That's it just happens to be about the same people. And that's what I mean about the culture shock. I do Christmas morning. You know, Christ- yeah, those kind of things. yeah, Because, because of the family. You know, I wrote it. My wife is a, is my cover artist and I'll show you a better one. I'm going to show you. Well, this is my short story book, white out and other stories. Oh, but my wife is the cover artist. I'll do this.
0: I like that. Yeah. Nice job. She does the cover. Very nice.
1: I'm not paying a cover artist. Yeah. I told her, I wanted to talk about this story. River of destiny is a story of a, I did it backwards. I took a kid who was raised on a farm and I sent him to, I, I sent him the Drexel in Philadelphia. Drexel. <laughs> and, and there's, there's the cover on that one.
0: Right. Wow. That's so a cool shock for that It shows kid. the
1: girl he left behind, and then it shows the girl he met. Ah. And, and he's stuck in the middle. He's stuck in the middle. Yep. And he has to figure that out. But my <laughs> wife is the cover artist. So now I have a cover. I have a means to produce it through Amazon because they do a real good job. You know, Amazon wants to sell books. They do. So exactly. they want to help you, they want to help you sell books because they make money when you do that. So I generated the book and I generated it as an ebook first. And then I, I got it. I got Cheryl to do the cover for me. I put the book up and I and I went live with it. And then I did the print book following. And the print book took a little bit more setup, a little bit more finessing with the word processor. Right. And a little bit different cover. And and it's a lot of nuts and bolts that you learn along the way instead of writing the check to somebody to format your book. I'm not going to tell you an untruth now. I put Flyover County on the streets, on the internet, and in the Amazon store for $10.60. Wow. And the reason I spent the $10.60 is I wanted a copy for myself. (laughs) And it cost me $10 and 60 cents to print it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So self-publishing is, is inexpensive, but it's, it's labor intensive. Yes. You can do it the other way. You can get, I had three people edit Flyover County for me. One was a retired high school English teacher. One was a legal secretary of our generation, which means she knew how to type on carbon paper where you're not allowed to make a mistake. Right.
0: (laughs) I remember that darn carbon paper. (laughs) It was a mess.
1: So they picked up the mistakes and I could re I could rewrite and edit and, and whatnot. So P- Flyover County by having very, very wonderful friends and volunteers helping me do my proofreading and my beta reading and having a wonderful wife who does all of my covers made it possible for me to be able to self-publish without putting a whole lot out of pocket. It can still be done today. I did it when Amazon Kindle was an infant, and there were there were maybe. You know, there was a very few books on Kindle, maybe a couple of million. Now it's more like 20. So therefore, I was a, a fairly small fish in a fairly small pond and, a, and it worked out. You oh. know, now the people today, you've got to work a little harder to, you know, to jump up and down and say, hey, look at me. But yeah. it still can you know. be done and it can still be done on a shoestring. And my only advice to somebody who wants to write a book is to sit down and put your fingers on the keyboard.
0: Right. Start writing. Nothing's
1: going to happen before you do that.
0: No, absolutely. You can
1: outline, you can draw pictures, you can draw storyboards, you can do everything you want to do. Nothing happens until you take these 10 fingers and you put them on the keyboard. That's right. That's right. And That's what I do. I sit down and, and you know, I got to give credit where credit is due. You know, I believe the man upstairs helps me as I type. You know, even Rush Limbaugh used to say talent on loan from God. And some people thought that was arrogant. I think it was thankful. Yeah, me too. And, me too. And I think, and, and I am thankful that I can sit down, put my fingers on the keyboard and write stories.
0: That is great. About yep. people. Yeah.
1: My most recent story is Sadie's Way. Here I am, I'm walking books again. Yep. <laughs> my most recent story, and, and I love Cheryl's cover. Sadie's Way. Mm. Sadie's Way, and and I love the cover. It just- That is it, pretty, it, yep. it says It says the story. Here's the setup. Imagine you're you're 17 years old. You're living near New York in a New Jersey suburb. You're 17 years old, prom is just around the corner. You have a boyfriend, life is good. You're gonna graduate this year. Now you're, you're, you're thinking about different colleges, you're thinking about different things you wanna do. And then you find out that your mother has been killed and your little brother too, in an automobile accident.
0: Oh, wow,
1: Ooh. And then your father comes in and says, it wasn't an accident. And the agents are here to take us away.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: So here's this 17-year-old. And you know at 17, your entire world revolves around you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: They're going to rip her out of her life and plunk her down. Guess where? Helen, South Dakota.
0: (laughs) Wow. And I tell that story. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Here's
1: this girl who is, is, you know, 30 pounds of girl and 60 pounds of selfish. And, and I rip her life away from her. And then I put her in an entirely different environment. And I watch her soften and I and I watch her melt over, over time. And wow. I watch dad adjust. Dad, dad didn't know his daughter. He always let his wife take care of things. You know, The, the first time they went flow shopping together was an experience for him because he'd never done that. Right. Uh, and she didn't know her father. She was just some guy that went to work all the time and brought home money. No, they had no relationship. So here they are, the only two left of a family of four, and, they, and they're and they plunked down 1,600 miles from where they started, and they have to start a new life. Wow. New identities. And, and the only good news is that in New Jersey, it's, you have to be 17 to drive. In South Dakota, you have to be 15. So it was the only plus she had is she could get a driver's license.
0: <laughs> Thank goodness there was A plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: but that's that was my most recent. I wrote that through the pandemic because I wanted something happy.
0: Yeah. Happy? You know,
1: that, that doesn't sound happy. It, well, it, it you're going to read happy. the book. Yeah. <laughs> I am a sucker for happy endings. I oh, absolutely good. love happy endings. I watch Hallmark movies. You know, I'm a sucker for happy endings. Me too. And I will never not write a happy ending. Even the Frank Stanbauer story, I could write that to its natural conclusion and end his life in that story. But I didn't. I made it a happy ending. Good, good. You know, I love happy endings. I, I, and I love escape books. You know, you pick up a book, you grab, you grab a cup of tea or your favorite adult beverage, you curl up in your favorite spot on the corner of the couch or in your easy right. chair, you climb into the book and escape.
0: Exactly. You want to see what it's like to live in other people's shoes. I mean, that's why you do it. It just opens up the world to you. So I love, I'm right before bed, a lot of times I'll read stories just to get my brain off of work and off of everything else. I'm into somebody else's life, what they're doing. and I love it. I love it.
1: Absolutely. One of the yeah. best reviews I ever got. It was on flyover counter. One of the best reviews I ever gotten. And it was anonymous, and you'll know why in a minute. One of the finest and best one-liners. It made me forget I was in prison. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I would love to have that handwritten by the guy, gold framed and put on the wall, but I don't know who he is.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, you just want to escape. And no matter what kind of a life you have, you always want to escape somewhere else just to get a break, just to get a change. So my life's not terrible, but I just, it gets me out of myself and into somebody else and experiencing life through their eyes. And I think that's important for all of us. Let's just experience life in another way, in another city, like Royal America versus where I'm living here. So you just want to escape and learn and see different things. So your books sound perfect for that.
1: I love writing about it. I love living it. You know, it's, uh, I was talking with another individual who hosts a blog or hosts a podcast like you do. And she says, well, what do you do other than rural? I said, nothing. nothing. You're rural. This is what I do. This is, I love rural America. Nothing else. Nothing else. I used to work, Me used to do a lot of woodworking. I used to do a lot of this and a lot of that. You know, and when I was on the New Jersey shore, I had everything from a 12-foot boat to a 40-foot cruiser. You know, I don't own a boat today. I don't have any desire to. I do rural. I do rural America. I I love going to coffee in the morning and sitting down with neighbors and and talking. I like going to church and visiting with people both before and after. I like going out to the local restaurant in the big town of Hitchcock, South Dakota, population 102, (laughs) which is my closest town, by the way, to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. 16 miles
1: away. Wow. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy You know, you walk into the bank and the teller looks up and says, Oh, good morning, Richard. How are you? You know? Yeah. Everybody knows you. You call the electric company and they know you, you know, how's that latest book doing? You know, they, (laughs) (laughs) they know you. Yeah. People know you here. And, and, and that's a good thing.
0: And again, on thing. the other
1: side of that, if you want to be left alone, you're left alone. But most people enjoy that. I, there's a there's a funny story, and, and I don't know how much time we have left to play here.
0: We're getting close can do, to the end.
1: <laughs> I, I can do this for I can do this all day, but there there is a couple. This is a real story. This happened about ten years ago in a town north of me, and I won't say the town because I don't want to make it too specific. There were two kids who were running a meth house. Making meth. They turned the house into a meth factory. And they got arrested, fortunately. But they got arrested because they didn't understand rural America. They didn't understand small town life. They were from downtown, they were lived in Minneapolis, which is a city of five million all by itself. Yeah. So they live in they lived in Minneapolis. They moved to this small town of under 300 people and they rented this house and they started cooking meth. And they pretty much stayed to themselves. Didn't talk much. You know, didn't, didn't they just kind of left, you know. They'd go to the gas station and people would say hello and they wouldn't answer. And just kind of wow, you know, the snooty uppity way of being things that people have when they're in a large city, and it's not intentional. It's just the way it is. And I've got I've got one more thing to say about that. When I finish this story, the fact that they did not understand rural America is what got them busted, <laughs> because they had gotten they, they had purchased the local newspaper for some reason I don't know why, but they did. And out here in rural America, there's still a kid on a bicycle that rides around and puts newspapers on people's porches. Wow. So this kid is riding along on his bicycle and he goes by this house and it's got a funny smell to it. So when he goes home, he tells his dad, he says, I don't know what's going on in there. I think maybe somebody died. He says, the smell is awful. So the dad calls the sheriff. The sheriff comes by the house and busts him for running a meth house. Now, how did they get busted? They don't understand rural America. They'd gone in and had coffee in the morning and said hello to people and stopped at the gas station and chatted for a few minutes, maybe even go to church once or twice to get to know the neighbors and introduce themselves and stand outside and chat for a few minutes with a guy walking down. If that had happened and the kid threw the newspaper and he smelled something funny and he went home and told his dad... Dad, something smells funny in that house. Dad would have called the house and said, hey, are you guys okay? There's a funny smell coming out of your house. And they could have got out of Dodge before the sheriff showed up. They didn't understand rural America. They just oh, well. didn't understand. You know, it's just the way it is. There is a culture here that is very special. And it's like I said, June Cleaver still lives here. There's a culture here that is easy on the heart. It's there's There's not a lot of... Not a lot of stress, unless you're a farmer and you're going day to day like these guys are now, we've been fighting the lack of rain out here. And today is a wonderful rainy day and I'm very happy for my farmer neighbors because they've needed a rainy day badly. This is the first rain we've seen in almost a month.
0: Oh, wow. So, so.
1: The environment here is is so incredibly different. You don't have somebody on the corner telling you what to do every day. You don't have an obtrusive governor or an obtrusive mayor or, or someone that's constantly telling you, you can't do this and you can't do that. You're living your own life and you're enjoying yourself and you can give it the dedication it deserves. And that's why I like rural America. I like yeah. it because people make it likable. You know, I moved here for the economy. I bought a house for almost 20 cents on the dollar for what I was paying in New Jersey. My taxes are, 10 cents on the dollar compared to what I was paying in New Jersey. But it wasn't the economy that keeps me here. It's the economy. It's the people. The people who meet you with chocolate chip cookies 45 minutes after you pull into your driveway. It's the like growing that,
0: up in the 50s because I think life was like that even in the cities back in the 50s. But it's long gone in the city. So, so if you're looking to go back in time, it sounds like rural America is the place to be.
1: And if you want to know what it's like, read my books.
0: There you go. So tell my audience um, where they can find your books. Give us any contact information you have so that they can get in touch with you. Where will they go?
1: I'm going to make this really easy because nobody's going to remember Richard Skorupski. Nobody's going to do that. It took, it took me five years to learn how to spell it. Uh, so Flyover County. flyovercounty.com is the website. Okay. If you go on Amazon and you go on and you look up flyover county, it's going to take you to the book Flyover County, which will take you, then you can click on the author and see all the rest of them. That's the easiest way to do it. It's a play on words for flyover country, which people in New York and California understand. They call this whole middle America flyover country because all you do is fly over it to get to someplace important in their mind. Flyover county will get you anywhere you want to go and get you to see me. I like I said, it's you, you. Don't even try to spell Rick, Richard Skorupski. <laughs> Just it's it's fine. Perfect. I think I was seven years old by the time I spelled it right.
0: Oh yeah, and and I had trouble pronouncing it, but I think I did okay. So
1: I think you did wonderful.
0: Okay, good. But thank you for being my guest today. I think you've given our Boomer Nation a lot to consider. Hopefully there's other boomers like me that are thinking of maybe moving south or Midwest or whatever, and we'll read your books and we'll think about it because maybe a small town's what I'm looking for too. I just really haven't given it any thought. So Mm -hmm. I think your books could help. Anybody who's thinking about small town life, read the books, get an idea, and then go for it.
1: Start with Tom and Sarah. That starts the series. Very good. Tom and Sarah, and it's called The Beginning. So it kind of tells you which one to start with. Oh, good. And right. if, you, if you want to see what small town living is like from a person who didn't grow up in one, that's the story to start with. And I pretty much guarantee you won't stop at Tom and Sarah. They're kind of like potato chips.
0: Yeah, yeah. They sound like really interesting books. So I, I'll be reading them. So hopefully my Boomer Nation will do the same. So thank you so much for bringing them to our attention.
1: I thank you again for the opportunity.
0: You're welcome.
1: And thank you for giving me a chance to hawk my books and to just brag about rural America, which is really what I like
0: to do. We have to hear about that. So that was great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet.